Welcome back into Bill's chat on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. We are recording a little later than usual. We are actually recording on Monday morning because our guy Luca was in the trenches with Bill's Mafia last night at the Bill's Packers Sunday night game. Luca, how are you feeling this morning after a day of partying with Bill's Mafia? Uh, I'm extremely exhausted. I'm not as hungover as I thought I'd be, but there's, you know, we've talked off air about that. I don't need to talk about that on air. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm amazed I'm sitting here recording with you right now, to be honest. I know you joked about it, but I woke up at around 10 AM and I was like, I cannot believe I am awake and ready to record here so we can get this out to our listeners and everything. But, um, glad to be alive. And last night was a blast. Yeah, and you know, we're not going to get too much into it, but that that game was like the end of a very long weekend for Luca. He had a lot of stuff going on. So I was just happy he showed up for the show this morning because I had my doubts if he was even going to make it. Just kidding. We know he's always going to be there. He's the Cal Ripken of podcast hosts. So we have a lot to get into. I do want to pick Luca's brain on the environment in the stadium last night because that was a story talked about by Chris Collinsworth on NBC last night. We obviously want to talk about the game, the implications from the game. But first, we do have a quick announcement to make, and we are excited about it. Um, thanks to Dave and the Built-in Buffalo Net Podcast Network, Luca and I are going to be hosting a new Friday night live show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network called Built-in Buffalo Live. So you will get to see our shining faces live. We'll be interacting with chat. And we'll get to do a lot of pregame stuff because right now on our current slot where we release episodes on Monday, which we're still going to be here doing Bill's chat in the postgame slot, we get to react to what we just saw. But what Luca and I are really excited about is when this project starts, we're going to really get to dive into what we anticipate happening in the game, predicting different matchups we like, and then also laying out certain things from the NFL weekend we're excited about. Uh, Luca, I don't want to speak for you, but this Friday night slot I know we've talked about is one we were really excited to get our hands on. Even before we were a part of Built in Buffalo, it was something that we definitely had, you know, discussions about, you know, how how could we do a live show if we ever get to that point? And I'm I'm with you. I'm very excited that this opportunity has finally kind of been thrown in front of us and has been given to us to really take off with and pregame Friday nights, just getting to break down everything we think about that, you know, in a, what we'll call it 60 asterisk minutes, depending on how long or short it goes. Um, very excited, very, very excited. It's going to be a different dynamic and it's going to be a lot of fun. I know, as you just said, you're excited. I am also very excited. And then, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be fun too, to kind of have that pregame live show. And then we can do still the thing we started with and what we love this right here with Bill's chat podcast and wrap up stuff. And I feel like it's going to do a lot of, it's going to open a lot of good discussions that people will also be able to listen to us and understand where our headspace is both pre and now post game. Well, sorry, now pregame going into post game and understand what we're doing here. And uh, yeah, couldn't be more excited. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners, because without you, this wouldn't be possible. We appreciate those of you who have been with us since the beginning, even those of you that date back before we got on the Built-in Buffalo Podcast Network. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we are excited for this ride to join with you on to the next step of our journey here on this live show coming up. We, we think we have an idea of when that date's going to be. We're not going to go ahead and announce it on this show just because there's still a few things in the works. Uh, but I will say it is coming soon. So keep it locked into our uh, Twitter 
Bill's chat pod, and then also uh, keep a lookout on the built-in Buffalo Twitter as well, as that announcement will be made very, very shortly. All right, Luca, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the game last night, because I feel like this is one of those games. It feels like we have a couple of them every year. Maybe if you think about the Miami game last year where the Bills won 35 to nothing, but a lot of the fan base left that game upset with how the game went down. I feel like this is one of those wins where fans don't know how to feel because yes, you got a win. Yes, it was on Sunday night football. The world was watching, but it lacked those style points that we're used to from these bills. It lacked, especially for it being a home game. When you look at the fact that the bills ran the Titans out of the building, they ran the Steelers out of the building. And for about half of this game, it looked like they were going to run the Packers out of the building. And that just did not happen. It ended up being a 27 to 17 victory for the bills. There was some sloppiness on offense that we're going to get into, but just high level, Luca, one of the first things I do on these postgame show is ask you how you felt when the game ended. How were you feeling when this game ended? The Bills have won. They've improved to six and one, 27 to 17 over the Packers. What was going through your mind? Well, walking out of the stadium, uh, so just for peek behind the curtain here, uh, walked out as soon as that field goal was missed. Um, you know, I was there and then you just don't need to watch the game after that point. I'm sitting third row in the corner of an end zone. I'm trying to get up the 42 steps or whatever it is to get out of there as quick as possible. Um, it was, it was an interesting feeling really. So I actually initially was like, okay, like my head personally was a win's a win. Like I personally do not give a crap about style points. There is no swag rating on Madden that is affected here. You know, I don't need, I don't need this team to kind of emphasize how good they are week in, week out. Like wins are wins right now. That's what we need. And the Packers game, as we talked about in the preseason was kind of that bookend of the difficult part of the schedule, right? It was bye week Packers. And then everything that comes after this Packers game, we definitely agreed was kind of a, we'll call it half step down or step down. Cause it's the NFL every game, every week you can, anything can happen, but the Packers game was that bookend. So to me, I'm like six and one we, we didn't do it in a, you know, emphatic fashion. We didn't really just put our foots on their throats and just finish it off. But at the same time, my head was like that first half was so good and so dominant by this Bills team. Yes, the second half was really strange and we'll definitely dive into where my head was at with the second half more. But after the game, just kind of where my headspace was, I was good. But as I was walking out of the stadium, more and more, I was hearing individuals and people kind of just being uneasy with everything and not sure how to feel. And there was a lot of just... Yeah, disappointment even in an in like a big win. Like you beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers by 10 points. And realistically, it was probably by more than that when you consider like Rodgers, that last touchdown. I just want to say right out the gate here. That last touchdown from where I was sitting, I could see from the back of Rodgers forward. And he's at around midfield. I can't remember exactly where it was. Of course, my depth and yardage is horrible based on where my seats are, but I can see kind of you see the, you know, the trenches, you see the offensive versus defensive line, you see what the quarterback sees. And that was honestly, I will say this right now, one of the coolest vantage points I've ever been able to watch a football game from because watching those kinds of things and watching this play, by the way, this was my favorite play of the game and it was a Packers touchdown, but watching what Rogers did was why he is Aaron Rodgers. Like there was nothing that defense, like what I saw he can't see anything. It was chaos in front of him. And for him to book it one way, then put his foot to the ground, step others as scramble drill was happening and that receiver gets open. 
Like it all, the windows aligned perfectly for him as he released the ball. And it was just money. And that touchdown happens because Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. There's nothing more to it. Like people were kind of, I heard some people saying, well, if Poyer was there, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, like Poyer could have made a play on the ball. Absolutely. But that play there was why Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Like, and he is still the guy we have known him from all these years. I walked away from this game going, Aaron Rodgers is not dead as a quarterback people. Like, cause I thought it going into it, but regardless, there was a lot of uneasiness with bills fans. And I just want to say this wins are wins, right? You're six and one. And now you are like, you are in the driver's seat and passenger seat. You own this two seat car towards a one seat in the AFC, which is going to be the harder conference between the two and kind of, it's all going to come through Buffalo. So yes, we didn't win with style points, but I was honestly shocked at how uneasy people were. But at the same time, I guess I get it because of that second half. And it's kind of like a recency bias where you kind of leave with what you saw last and Allen throwing a red zone pick that honestly was beyond head scratching. I that was on my side of the field. And I just I don't know what the heck was going on there. I, I really don't know why he did what he did um, and stuff like that. So I guess I get where people are coming from. But people wins are wins. And I'm just going to say it probably a billion times during this episode. Wins are wins. We are six and one, and we are clearly, clearly the best team in the NFL right now with no slip ups to this point. And that's just an incredible spot to be that I personally was happy walking out of the stadium, but I can definitely understand the majority of Bill's mafia out there is very, as you put it, unsure how to feel about that win, because even Josh Allen, our, our leader was at the podium. And one of the first things out of his mouth was. He was upset with himself or disappointed in himself. I can't remember the exact word I saw, but he's like, you know, it was great wins. There was a lot of good. Oh, things he said it was walked. a crappy win. That yeah, was crappy. his exact words. Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. And I get it. So then, you know, you hear your leader say that kind of thing and you're like, okay, like I, I uh, clearly it's in the locker room too. That's how they're feeling. But also I just want to take this moment real quick and I'm sure we'll discuss it more. This defense still like held Aaron Rodgers to 17 points and they had the Packers feeling that they needed to run the ball down 17 points because they couldn't do anything else effectively. And that's an incredible spot to be as a team. When you have basically shown a team for an entire half that, Hey, you're not going to throw it on us. You're not going to be able to do anything in the air. So if you want to try to get back in this game, you need to milk clock and do it on the ground, which is just an incredibly difficult task to come back in a game when you're down three scores to just keep it on the ground. So I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. I love wins. I don't need style points, but I get it. Everyone, I will tell you, Josh, everyone in the stadium was very uneasy leaving that stadium. So I have a theory on that. You know, if you've seen a movie and none of your friends have seen it and you walk out of that movie and you're like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. I want to go tell my wife and my fiance, my friends about it, whoever's in your circle. And you tell them, like, you have to go see this movie. And then they go see it. You feel that pressure of like, oh, no, like, I hope they enjoyed it as much as I did. I've been telling them how great this movie is. And now we've come to the point where they're going to watch it. Or maybe you're in a situation where you're watching it with them. And then you're kind of half watching the movie and half watching their face to make sure they're laughing at all the right spots and that they understand how great this movie was. The Bills are kind of like that for us as Bills fans, because this is still a relatively new experience for us that the Bills have the premier team, or at least one of, but I will say this, the premier team in the league, because they have one of, if not the most watchable players playing quarterback for them. They are an exciting team. 
And we as Bills fans, we love every opportunity to be able to puff our chest out and be like, look how cool our team is because it's new for us. And the last time the Bills played a big spotlight game, the Kansas City game, it was like, look at our team. We were down at Arrowhead and we come back and beat Patrick Mahomes. Or the last time we were on Monday Night Football, they blow the doors off of the Tennessee Titans and everybody in the world is saying, how in the world can you compete with the Buffalo Bills or Thursday Night Football against the Rams? This was, as I like to say, a fishbowl game. Everybody was watching it. Sunday night football under the lights. Aaron Rodgers is a big story in the league right now. I think if you're a wrestling fan, the term is he's kind of made a heel turn in recent years with some of his his views on certain things, some of his personality with throwing some teammates under the bus. And it was a good smash spot for the Bills to, in a sense, bury Rodgers. And from a fan standpoint, when the Bills end up winning 27 to 17, when they're leading 24 to 3 at halftime, it leaves a little bit to be desired. And I get that. But what I will tell you is it's there's a what matters and what doesn't matter. What doesn't matter is a lot of the conversation I saw on Twitter from some of our followers last night that were even tweeting back at us when I was saying things like, well, this was kind of an ugly win. A lot of the conversation was they can't play like this against the good teams and win. First of all, <laughs> they have played more good teams than anybody else in this league. And they have a six and one record. Luca laid it out there. Look at the schedule they've gone through. We talked about this murderer's row of schedule opening up against the Rams on the night. They raised their banner opening up against our at home against the Tennessee Titans who have done nothing but win since they got their doors blown off in Buffalo that night, uh, going to Arrowhead and beating Patrick Mahomes, going to Baltimore and beating Lamar Jackson, division winner after our division leader after division leader. The Rams are not a division leader currently, but on opening night, they were the defending Super Bowl champions. Then you have the defending NFC one seed, the Green Bay Packers showing up absolutely desperate for a win to keep their season on the rails and the Bills win. They get through that stretch six and one. That's what matters. What doesn't matter, even though at times to fans it feels like it matters, is the carryover effect from one game to the next. Every NFL game is its own individual entity. So what you do in one game does not necessarily matter in the next game. Josh Allen having two boneheaded turnovers in the fourth quarter, which is what they were. They were boneheaded turnovers has no bearing on what happens next week against the Jets. Now, if he does it again against the Jets and he does it again the next week against the Vikings, that's when it's kind of like, okay, is this a pattern that's developing where he's making bad decision after bad decision? Where you can look at it if like, hey, there's a player, we have a, a backup right tackle in Questenberry and he's just getting beat off the line nonstop play after play. That's something you can look at like a tangible, is this something we're going to have to worry about until Spencer Brown comes back? That is not the case. So, I would not worry about like a couple boneheaded plays making this game end up a lot closer than it should have been carrying over to the next week. So to Lucas point, you're six and one. Enjoy the six and one. We got through the hard stretch of the schedule, but now we have a very important game coming up with the Jets that we're going to get to here near the end of our show. But Luca, this game really was the tale of two halves because the Bills came out just on fire 24 to seven at halftime. And to me, it just really capped off with that beautiful 53 um, second drive at the end of the half, 56 yards in total with a 53 yard pass to Stefan Diggs to set it up and the Tyler Bass field goal. I felt like going into halftime that this was going to be one of those Josh Allen is wearing a baseball cap in the fourth quarter games and the bills were about to win this game 45 to 10. I, I will just tell you, I think as much as we like to view things through the lens of Bills fans, and we are certainly going to get into some of that strategy the Packers used, as Luca referenced about running the ball versus passing, 
I do think we have to give some credit to the Packers for staying in the fight because from their perspective, they were in the absolute lion's den in this game in Buffalo against this team under the lights and everything is crumbling around them and they managed to stay in this game and kind of keep it a game. Um, but look at halftime, I was fully confident this was going to be a laugher. Let me put it this way at halftime. There was this, they were wonderful. I do. I cannot say enough great things about the couple sitting next to me who were Packers fans from Texas. Shout out to those guys. Um, interesting. The guy's a season ticket holder, lives in Texas, season ticket holder for the Packers. Wrap your head around that one, people. Lo- the respect to your team. <laughs> that was incredible. I was having this. I was mind blown. Anyways, at halftime, this man had his head in his hands, not knowing what to think about what was going on in front of him. And I remember I actually was trying to be like, hey, man, like, I I don't like seeing someone as dejected as that. Like some Bills fans out there, and I'm sure there's plenty of Bills fans actually, but some Bills fans enjoy that, right? They relish in it because we've been there and we want other people to go through our suffering. I personally respect because I, I had talked a couple, you know, moments just trying to understand him as a Packers fan and stuff like that. Cause I, I love talking to people. Josh knows this, everyone knows this. I love talking to people. I wanted to understand where his headspace was as a Packers fan and wanted, you know, hey, what brings you to Buffalo? All that fun jazz. And I don't like seeing people kind of like dejected. And so he had his head in his hands, just like, what is going on? And really, that was exactly how Packers fans, I'm sure, all felt after that first half of football. Like, even when you think you have Josh Allen down, as we have all learned to love, you don't. And then when you think you have this team, you know, on a third and long, boom, Josh Allen runs for 20 yards or whatever is going on. And the drive is still going and this offense is still moving like no issues are going on. That's what the first half was. And I I was trying to talk this Packers fan off the ledge, essentially. And, you know, one thing, too, by the way, Josh, you'll love this. He was hating on Christian Watson. And I'm like, oh, no, man, like you got to love this guy. And he's like, he's always hurt and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know. But if he can just learn how to catch a ball, you got a four, three, five Megatron on your hand. So. He's like, but we don't have time. Anyways, I don't want to get into that conversation, but I thought you would like that one. I'd give that one to you live on air. Um, So second half comes and I'm with you. First half, I'm like, this is going to be a 40. So I put a correct score bet in just it was plus 38,042.13. And I really thought I had a chance that the Bills could do that. 18 points in the second half would have been a weird one. I don't know how we would have done that, but I was like, or no, sorry, 42. We are at 27. I don't know. I can't do math right now. I'm too tired. Um, so I was like, this is possible. Josh Allen's going to be wearing a baseball hat. I'm with you. Like, this is going to be the Titans game all over again. And um, respect. I genuinely think that maybe something happened in the Bills offensive game plan that it kind of switched off a little bit more than they should have. And then credit to the Packers. They did something defensively that clearly was messing with the Bills offense. Like something was happening where all that rhythm, all that momentum, everything they had in that first half that looked like this offense was never going to be stopped. Something happened that they didn't know what was going on or whatever. And they got a couple big plays here and there, but it just seemed like it was off all of a sudden. And I don't, I don't know exactly what happened personally, but clearly there was a combination of things where maybe the bills offense, and this could be they came off a bye, right? And mentally, they were hyped to get out there on the field. And now all of a sudden, they're a little checked out because they didn't just come fresh off that Kansas City win. Who knows? Maybe they just switched off a little bit more than they should. And this could be a learning experience for that and be like, if you do that, 
good teams like the Packers, I know their record is now three and five, I believe it is, or whatever. They are still a good team. They have Aaron Rodgers. They are a good offense. They might not have weapons like people want them to have that are Packers fans, but they're still a good offense and they're a good defense. And if you switch off against a team like that, they can fight their way back into it, even on the ground. Like, I will say this. The Packers really did have me nervous a little bit. Like early fourth when the Bills offense just could not get things going. And yet they were like the Packers were still committed to running because they knew it was working. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, man, like this is this could get scary if they get another touchdown here. And luckily we held them off for a little bit, you know, held them off enough and they milked enough clock that it really never got too close quick enough. Um, But it's the tale of two halves is perfect for this game. And I think that second half might be something that this team really looks at and goes, this is why you got to step, you know, put your foot on the throat. This is why you got to not switch off. This is why you need to make things happen and keep it going. Because if you do that again against another good team, like say in a few weeks when we have to play the Vikings, the Vikings have the firepower out wide and everything to make stuff happen. They can make things happen if you switch off. So you cannot do that. You cannot afford to do that. I will kind of agree with people you know tweeting at us and things like that interacting like you can't do that against good teams but as you also said i mean we've already gone through all the good teams and this is a good team here in front of us and we still got the win first half incredible second half was head scratching but i'm going to personally credit the packers packers did two things they clearly figured something else something out on defense that was confusing the crap out of the bills offense it was very apparent And then two, they just were, and this is what the Packers, I just want to say, the Packers have needed to do this when they lost to the Giants, when they lost to the Jets. They went back to the ground and they're like, look, our weapons are sporadic and don't know what's going on for the most part. We have these two running backs. We're going to just ride these guys trying to get back into this game because we know that offensive line can get the push and these running backs are going to make things happen. And credit to them, they stuck with that. And that was really what kept them in that game. And Maybe it's due to the bill switching off as well, but you have to give credit where credit is due. They made that second half just slightly uncomfortable for Bill's mafia and stuff. And um, you can't Josh Allen can't be thrown that red zone interception, man. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, that's the moment where the game should end. And I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Like, that's the one where if that interception doesn't happen and we are able to get a score of any variety. I don't even think I'm ever uncomfortable. So that's the one that I look at. I'm like, that's what put me uneasy. And that's the only moment where I was like, damn, dude, you can't do that. You know, the bills have been saying all season long and it's been Von Miller saying, don't blink, don't blink. And I honestly feel like the bills blinked last night. So maybe this is the best thing for them is they kind of have that aftermath taste in their mouth. That's similar to how you feel after a loss. Only they got to experience that in a win. Because there, there's been some lessons along the way this season. They had some ugly turnovers against the Rams, but ultimately blew the Rams doors off 130, 31 to 10. And they could still feel good talking about making the plane do backflips on the way back to Buffalo. This one, I really feel like as a collective, there's guys on both sides of the ball that probably are coming in to watch film on Tuesday or Wednesday this week, thinking about things that from this game they didn't like. Josh Allen, some of the two of those turnovers last night, the two that he had both really bad throws, the red zone one completely inexcusable. And what I find interesting is I listened to one bills live quite a lot at work. And Steve Tasker was saying this all week long. And, you know, Steve Tasker and Chris Brown are in that building. So 
sometimes when they say things, I pay a little bit closer attention to it because, you know, maybe he's seeing Josh Allen at the coffee bar and they're just having a chat. You just never know. And he said this several times throughout the week. Josh Allen is the front runner for MVP. He's playing against the two time defending MVP. So if the scenario pops up where the bills are up 40 points in the fourth quarter, do they leave Allen in for a, an extra drive just to like cement that MVP campaign. And every time Chris Brown's like, no, 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 no. Keep him healthy. Don't risk it. Like if you, if you win, you win. But Tasker kept going back to that this week, even when they had guests on, I think they even had Thurman Thomas on at one point and Tasker brought it up and Thurman was like, no, what are you talking about? But I'm, why is Tasker sticking to this point? And then you saw it last night where it felt like Allen was almost just trying to put his stamp on that game. Like he had two really nice drives in the first half and it just felt like it was going to be one of those special Josh Allen experience games. And then the interception in the end zone was just what what are you doing? A field goal here even just puts this game out of reach. Um, it felt like maybe he was trying to put a showcase on and it is what it is. It happens. He's a human being. He's not going to be perfect at every single time, but it felt like he maybe even blinked there. And then I want to talk about the defense because Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, as Luca mentioned, two excellent running backs. The bills gave up almost 200 yards collectively between the two of them. I think it was 197 combined. And a lot of that was in the second half. So what happens there? And I will, I'll just tell you as that's unfolding in the second half, I don't mind it because at, at that point, the bills go into the second half with a 24 to seven lead. So you're in a comfortable spot, 17 point lead. And every time the Packers run the ball for four or five yards, they are trading four or five yards for essentially 35 to 40 seconds of gameplay. And as that game's going on and it's just feeling like, okay, are the Packers going to pick it up here because they're going to run out of time before they run out of coming back and, and before they get enough points. And there's a couple of tweets from uh, Aaron Quinn over at cover one that I want to, I want to reference before I make this point. Uh, one, he sent out during the game last night. In two drives, this is Aaron Quinn 716 on at Twitter. Um, in two drives to open the half, the Packers went 19 plays, 120 yards, 11 minutes, and 27 second time of possession, three points. Huge win for the Bills in that almost 12 minutes of gameplay. And then he had another tweet this morning to kind of iron out that, that point. Say whatever you want about the Bills defense last night. There were seven drives that totaled 45 plays, 218 yards. 21 minutes and 37 seconds for a total of three points. So the whole point is, yes, the Packers had the ball. Yes, it felt like they were converting third down after third down, and they, it felt like they were running it right down the throat of the defense. I will still tell you, I think the Bills have an excellent run defense. If uh, Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor show up in the playoffs, I'll be very confident that the Bills can slow that down. My theory on what happened last night, Luca is the Bills got ahead 24 to 7. They're like, we're on national TV. Our pass rushers are going to eat. We're going to each get three sacks apiece tonight, and we're going to have some fun. Von Miller even said in the post game, at one point he went up to Aaron Rodgers. He's like, are you guys going to start passing? Because I want to rush the passer, which was a hilarious comment by Von Miller. And um, you could even see it on TV where after the fourth down run stop, he goes up to Aaron Rodgers and they say something, and Rodgers kind of laughs. To Luca's point, I don't know if the Packers were afraid to pass, because they didn't think they could hold up in pass protection or if they were just trying to commit to let's make the score look closer than it really is. But from a bill standpoint, I feel like the entire defensive line was in, we're going to rush the passer mode. And when you do that, you leave yourself open to running plays, which you get undisciplined. You're focused on getting to the quarterback. You're not worried about stopping the runner as much. It looked a lot 
Like when when Greg Rousseau has a bad game stopping the run, you know something's going on where they're just obsessed with trying to get to the passer because he is dynamite against the run. I'm not reading any more into this than the fact that people got greedy last night. The quarterback got greedy trying to get some stats. The defensive line got greedy trying to get some sacks. And it all ended up to us probably feeling a little bit more nervous than we should have had to feel, but it still added up to a Bills win. And I think, Luca, there's some valuable lessons in that game last night. So I got a fun little tidbit for you that you would not see on TV. And I think I finally picked up something on this Bills defensive line, being there in person, being up and close. So it's in the third quarter. It's a TV timeout, and I'm watching the defense stand there. You know, it's Vaughn. Uh, Epinesa was on the other edge. Uh, I believe it was Daquan Jones, and it wasn't Ed Oliver. I'm trying to think of who the other. So Vaughn Miller is standing there. It's third quarter, remember. So we're talking about second half, and they were just committing to run the ball. After one drive, I believe this wasn't the first drive that the Packers had because I want to say I was like, man, they're really running at us. I'm curious what happens. This actually, no, this would have been fourth quarter because Rodgers' back was to me. This might have been the last touchdown drive. And Vaughn literally, and this happened before, and I picked it up again. I'm like, I think you're onto something with being too sack happy. And this is where I'm getting at. Vaughn immediately looks at the defensive line and puts his hands on the back part of his helmet and is tapping it and sliding it up. Now, the motion that that is making to me is pinning your ears back right? And everyone on the defensive line is happily nodding their head and doing the same thing. And I'm like, are these guys just going to just rush the passer nonstop after getting run down the throats of like, I was like, what is like, to me, it was like something in my head. I'm like, man, that is, that's a weird signal to be making right now. Start of a drive. You're like, let's pin our ears back, pin our ears back. Let's go. And I saw it before earlier in the game and I've seen it on TV once in a while. Cause you know, they make signals, you know, I got to tell them what to do, but it was like pre TV timeout just nothing's going on and they're having this conversation. I'm like, they're just caught. And it made sense because as you pointed out, Groot and Vaughn and all these, like they were running so far upfield, like running did not matter to them. They were just, they did not care about edge discipline and stuff and the respect, the run and all that stuff. Even after getting run on, they were just going up, going up, going up, take the outside, whatever it is to get to the passer. And you might be onto something there. I think there was a, uh, what do you, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, again, sorry, I'm a little tired, but there was just a consensus, I think, or a belief or a desire for this defensive line to really put on a show and get some sacks and make things happen. And they just, they didn't care about the run. They didn't care about what was going on in that world. They were just like, let's, let's have fun. It was almost a, you know, the defensive line was like, Hey, we're, we're here to have fun. We, we know this game, we can shut it down when we need to let's go get some stats. Let's go have some fun. And let's knock Rodgers on his ass. So um, I definitely think you're onto something there because I wanted to bring this up at some point. I I like looked around and I'm like, does anyone? Like, I was talking to other Bills fans around. I'm like, is anyone noticing that? And unfortunately, no one else kind of had an attention to detail like that during TV timeouts. But I was like, this is just fascinating to me. And, and my fiance, she's sitting there like, what what are you so enamored with? I'm like, that is not normal. <laughs> that is that is not something you see at this point in the game, especially after getting run. Like normally the correction is, hey, let's all gap assignments, know what you're supposed to do. Make sure you don't give up your lane and things like that. Let's just they clearly want to make a run at the ball. And maybe that's what the Packers were hoping the Bills would do. Then it would kind of sit back their edge and that would open up the passing game more for them. And that credit to the bills. If they were like, screw this, we'll give you the run all day long. As you pointed out, all this time of possession doesn't matter because you got three points out of it. And it's like the game's going to, you're going to run out of clock before you come back in this game. 
there could have been a little bit of a chess match in there and that's why they were doing it. But yeah, there was definitely uh they're trying to just get to the quarterback and they do not care about, you know, they don't care about Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon one bit. They're like, we'll let the, we'll let the second level and the linebackers and the safeties and everyone clean that stuff up. We're going to go at the quarterback every snap. And um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. It was, it was something I definitely wanted to make sure I bring up this podcast because yeah, if so going forward, people, if you ever see that happening, I am almost confident in the belief that it's a pin your ears back. And that tells you that that defensive line doesn't give a crap about the run. Just something to know. And to their credit, they were in a game script where they were up by 17 points and you figure that they're going to start passing at that point, which is is not uncommon. Like that's what teams do. That's why players like Von Miller want to come play for teams like the Bills, because they know they're going to have leads and have much more ample opportunity to pass rush and get those sack totals up. One other thing I want to talk about last night from last night's game, Luca, was just the overall chippiness between the Packers and the Bills. And I feel like a lot of it was on the Packers side. I was listening to Aaron Rodgers post-game comments, and I found it interesting. He said that this was the first time this season in pregame where it felt like they were the Green Bay Packers, and it felt like collectively they were all, um, I don't want to say lathered up, but they were all in the same boat of like, we're here, we're going to win. Like they were, they were getting riled up in the locker room. There was a scene where the Packers are taking the field and Stefan Diggs looks like he's running out of the tunnel with the Packers because he is just jawing at Jair Alexander and they're going back and forth. And then um, they continued as the Packers went back into the locker room. So for those that don't know, um, Highmark Stadium is one of those unique stadiums where both teams exit and enter from the same tunnel. So teams have to walk by each other. It's a very college-like atmosphere. Um, so it can lead to situations where there's some outbursts there. Um, Diggs and, and Alexander were joined back and forth. Then they got into it clearly as the game was going on. Rasul Douglas was also getting into it with, and then Gabe Davis got into it. And I was trying to put the pieces together because a lot of us that follow this team closely were like, wait a minute. Like I know Diggs used to play in the NFC North. Maybe there's some history there from the Vikings games, but you know, you even the national media, what is going on here? What is so personal between these two? So they asked Diggs about it after the game. And he's like, I don't want to tell you who started it, but I'll tell you who finished it. It was me. We got the win. And then Jair Alexander um, made a comment along the lines of basically he was the one who started it after the game. I forget what his exact quote was, but he basically said that he went up to Diggs and was like, you can't mess with me, little boy. And that is what triggers to me is they must have run past each other in the tunnel. Jair Alexander said something to Diggs about you can't mess with me, little boy. Diggs left the scene where the players usually stay in the tunnel, Josh Allen, the receivers, the O-line, and then, you know, they do like Josh Allen gives this little speech and they all go, I love you, Josh Allen. And it's really funny to watch back. And um, but Diggs left that chased after Alexander and it was a grudge match from there on out. But the chippiness didn't stop there. We saw uh, rookie first round pick Quay Walker get ejected from this game for shoving or throwing a punch at a Bills coach on the sideline when when you watch it back. The Bills coaches, you know, they were essentially trying to keep him safe. Like the momentum was carrying so fast to the sideline. You see this all the time in the league. Um, you know, people will try to catch you to keep stop your momentum from going. And that looked like that's all he was trying to do is like keep him from like running into a Gatorade cooler or a bench or anything that could really injure him. He took it a totally different way and like threw a punch at the guy and got ejected from the game. Um, and then you saw Gabe Davis with a really bad personal foul late in the game. where He just shoves Alexander from the back that pushes the Bills offensive drive back. There was a lot of chippiness in this game, Luca. 
on one hand, I don't mind it. I don't mind that the Bills, this team that, you know, they're way up here. And, you know, I don't mind that they're going to chip back. Like, you're not going to come into our house and push us around. That's kind of what Diggs said. He's like, hey, we're a calm team. We don't talk trash. But essentially, we're not going to start it, but we're going to finish it. You're not going to you're not going to get in our face and we're just going to sit there and be like, OK, well, we'll settle it on the field. That's not how they're going to do it. Um, but on the other hand, maybe that played into a little bit of the we're going to stick it to you stuff in the second half that actually got the Bills off their game and prevented this game from being a blowout. My two takeaways from this is one, I feel like the Packers probably felt like they were playing for their season last night and had a chance to really turn their season around by getting a win over what many feel is the best team in the league, a statement game for them. And that's why they were extra amped up Two, Jair Alexander is a provably excellent player in this league. And he's probably been hearing all week about how excellent Stefan Diggs is. And he wanted to leave his mark on that game. Spoiler alert. He ended up covering Gabe Davis a lot throughout this game. So that matchup really didn't come to fruition. Um, he did shut down Gabe Davis for what it's worth. And um, I just feel like it was just a perfect mix of a very highly energized Packers team, a Bills team that's not going to let anybody get in their face and push them around. And it led to a lot of sloppy, um, undisciplined moments where the refs had to pull their flags out of their pockets. Um, I think there was even more than that. So I'm going to, this is probably going to take a turn that I, I don't think you expected. So I will say all of the um, Jair Alexander, Russell Douglas, all that kind of stuff, I will touch on in a second, you know, because I was on the opposite side of the tunnel. I didn't get to see the, you know, all of that up close until I saw it on Twitter like everyone else. But I will say I noticed something pregame uh, during the Packers warmups that kind of personally, I was like, there was clearly something there. And Josh is absolutely spitting facts here that something was going on with the Packers. But what I will also add to this conversation is the one thing I noticed, there was a bunch of uh, unfortunate Packers fans that weren't the most polite. I'm I'm not saying they were bad people. They were just also intoxicated like every Bills fan pretty much is as well. Like there was a lot of chatter going on. But the one thing I'm going to highlight here is a lot of the game, they kept going, you're not going to cover 11 and a half. You're not going to cover 11 and a half. And I'm like, what fan is sitting there watching this game saying you're not going to cover a double digit spread on us? It was such a weird remark that was happening all game that when I got in my car afterwards, I'm like, has Packers have Packer fans been insulted that they're double digit underdogs in this game? Are it has has this chatter been happening around the team and around the media of Packers fans? Because I'll be honest, I'm not like in tune with Packers social media and Packers media and all that kind of stuff, obviously. There was this weird, these people were in completely different areas of the stadium around me, and I don't think they knew each other, but they were all talking about it. And I'm like, what does that have to do with a win or a loss in a game? Because look, in the NFL, style points don't matter, as we've talked about. It doesn't matter that we didn't cover against the Packers, so only we only get, you know, half a win. It's like, no, we won the damn game. And as a fan, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So why are there is this like crazy discussion happening that you're not going to cover versus us? We're going to ruin your day because you're not going to cover. I'm like, man, there's something to that. And I just wanted to point that out because I had been hearing about that all day from Packers fans and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. But that leads me into now talking about that during Packers warmups. I told this to Josh on off air and I definitely wanted to bring it up here. I before even knew about the dig situation was watching pregame warmup. Uh, so first it was like the running back, back group were near me, and then it was tight end uh, group. And then all of a sudden it was the defensive backs and secondary. And I noticed specifically because, one, I am a fan of Jair Alexander. I love him as a cover corner, and I do also like Roussel Douglas. 
uh, just as a football fan. So I was paying attention to them and then everyone else. And I just want to see how they're looking. And anytime they weren't participating in a warm up drill or anything, those two were going at it. And I'm not saying it in a negative way. Like they were clearly pumping each other up, jawing each other, getting each other motivated. And there was something going on with those guys where they must have been all week, you know, probably in their meeting rooms and through the media and stuff are going, you know, the Bills got Gabe Davis and Diggs and and McKenzie and Shakir and James Cook. And they got all these weapons. They got weapons. And Diggs is the best receiver in the league, questionably, or, you know, stuff or un, not questionably, depending on who you're talking to. Stuff like that. Like they probably have been hearing this all week. And Jair Alexander, as you pointed out, Josh, is provably one of, if not the best cover corner in the NFL. And he doesn't want to hear any of that crap. He doesn't want to hear it. And like you could see it in his animated celebrations afterwards where he points to the sky and then sheathes the sword and stuff like that. Like he was on one. He was motivated. And I think there could have been something going on where even the Packers coaching staff and everyone was going out of their way to get them motivated and pissed off and stuff because this team has high expectations. And yeah, as you put it, this was a game where they had a chance to turn their season around or this could inevitably bury their season. Like this was a big, big game for them. And they must have been just being like, you guys should be pissed off that you're in this situation right now and we need a win. The Quay Walker thing was wild. Like I could not believe that watching the replay. Like obviously I couldn't see it live. It was just down the line of the sideline for me. But watching the replay, I'm like, what is he doing? But when you're on edge and you're seeing red and you're pissed off and all that kind of stuff, it's just a hand touching you and you don't want any part of it if it's the opposition, that kind of thing. Like, I'm not trying to sympathize. You don't do that. Like you just, you don't. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I get it because clearly that team was just everyone. There was a consent, a, a, an entire effort by the Packers to be pissed off, play on edge, be aggressive and everything like that. And um, yeah, the, the digs to Jair thing really, to me, I'm, I'm glad you laid that out for me because even myself, I was just like, I do not understand why this seems to be personal and seems to be a big thing. But I, I do believe watching and piecing it all together, I, I think it's more of Jair, Roussel Douglas, and that secondary especially had been hearing all week that you ain't going to do crap to these guys. And Diggs still had a big day, mainly on Roussel Douglas, as you pointed out. But eh, I mean, it's, it is what it, I love that stuff. I'm just going to say this right now. I love that stuff. I love that the refs kind of – they had to step in when they needed to step in, but they also let it kind of happen. There were other moments where Davis and I think it was Davis and Jair, because as you pointed out, that was primarily the matchup there. Davis and Jair were in each other's faces a lot. I noticed it a lot, like, you know, after a play, whether it was Davis dropped or, you know, even if they weren't like directly, like it wasn't even Gabe Davis involved in the offensive snap. Like He was in Jair's face or Jair went in his face. And there was just this constant, constant battle every play where they were talking to each other and like McKenzie, you know, would come in and say something and think like you could see that there was this kind of battle within the war that was going on with the, we'll call it bills weapons versus uh, Packers secondary. There was something going on and I do think the Packers started it, but I like that. If I was a Packers fan, I would love that. Like you want them to be pissed off and motivated. Like if the bills were in the Packers situation, I would want, you know, Kyer Elam, say they were in the same thing and you're supposed to be that good defense and our secondary is being told that they're not going to be able to cover this team. Like I would want Kyer Elam and Ben, you know, Christian Benford and all these guys just being getting in their grill, letting them know that they're, they're here and they're going to make your life miserable or try to at least. And it was, it's fun. Like I love watching that stuff. And I hope 
I hope no Bills fan out there like thinks, you know, oh, the Packers are just overly aggressive and stuff like that. It's like, no, this is football, man. This is a man's game. And like, it's, it's a battle out there and people need to understand that. I love that the bills and digs and all of them didn't back down. As you put it, you're in our house. You're not going to push us around. I know we're the best. It seems like right now, but also we'll stand up and fight if we need to, but props to the Packers, man. They understood the, the severity of this game and where it meant for their season. And they weren't going to back down either. They weren't going to make it easy for the bills on the, you know, on the national stage to really show them up and just kind of do what the bills did to the Titans and blow them out before it's even in the fourth quarter. So I love that stuff, man. I was, I was so happy to see that kind of stuff. That's, that's the stuff I love watching every week. Like I love edgy chippy, you know, uh, what are we going to call that alpha eccentric football? Like it's like, who's the bigger man, but you're not going to get through me easy kind of deal. I love that stuff. You mentioned this team having each other's backs and you noticed that in week one where Diggs and Davis both were jawing with Jalen Ramsey. And you even noticed it back in training camp when there was a, there was a fight that broke out between Josh Allen and Jordan Phillips, just a really not a fight, but a shoving match. And the teams collected and, you know, Diggs and Davis are both jumping into the pile, like hilariously over the pile because somebody had the nerve to get in QB one's face. And they're like, if somebody's going to be swinging, we're going to be in there taking swings. Ryan Clark of ESPN, who I absolutely love, pointed this out. I did not put this together during the game, but I saw this tweet circulating and it's going to probably sound funny me reading this. But all right, this is his tweet. Ryan Clark, real real R Clark 25 on Twitter. Josh Allen is really Diggs' homeboy for real. Dude, are real life friends. Josh saw Diggs had beef with Douglas on the previous play and went right at him with an out and up. Legit the equivalent of jumping somebody with your homeboy. <laughs> it's so true. Josh Allen saw Diggs jawing. I'm like, okay, we're gonna go at him. We'll we'll, we'll teach him. What's we'll teach him that he's not gonna cover you. And I love the fact that you know, does Diggs do this with Alexander if Kirk Cousins is his quarterback? I don't know. I feel like there's a comfort level in that you have Megatron at quarterback and you're like, I just have to play my game and I'm going to get the ball. There's not going to be a situation where I roast somebody on a double move, but I'm 60 yards downfield. My quarterback can't get me the ball because I'm out of his range. There's got to be a comfort there with Diggs knowing that his quarterback is Josh Allen, that if he just plays his game, he's going to get his. I enjoyed all of that. Um, really quickly on the injury front in this game. David Questenberry, Luca and I mentioned this on our last podcast. The Bills were kind of out of mulligans at the at the tackle position. Um, you saw Bobby Hart had to finish the game. Questenberry was in the x-ray room. Reports coming from beat reporters are he told them that he's just fine. It was normal bumps and bruises. Normal bumps and bruises, easy for me to say, which is obviously a very welcomed update because we don't know if Spencer Brown's going to make it back this week. And we've talked about it at nauseum that with Tommy Doyle being out, the tackle depth after the big three of Dawkins, Questenberry, and Brown is really shaky and unknown. So as long as you have two of those guys up, one of them has to be Dawkins, by the way. Two of those guys up next week against the Jets, who have a very solid D-line. The Bills should be in good shape there. But the biggest injury situation we are all going to be looking at this week, uh, Jordan Poyer suffered an elbow injury. After the game, he said he heard a pop, which is obviously never good. Same elbow he injured in training camp. Um, but falling along banged up Bill's Twitter feed. It sounds like maybe it's a different injury to the same elbow. So brace for bad news, hope for good news. And, and we'll all know a little bit more as this day goes on. I don't want to spend too much time on like hypothetical trade scenarios, Luca, but I guess the one glimmer of hope here, if something serious is going on with Jordan Poyer 
at least the Bills had this happen before the trade deadline. And maybe you want to bring up this name that you mentioned on last week's pod. I almost feel bad. It feels like I might have accidentally jinxed this because, you know, going into this week and when we had our bye week podcast, it was like, hey, like everyone wants a running back potentially. And there's a lot of fun trade candidates at running back and and so on and so forth. And it's like, um, oh, no, Poyer has yet another thing. We don't want to speculate what's going on with Poyer. But at the same time, it's like, okay, if you now lose Poyer for what you understand to be. Uh, let's say multiple weeks. I, I don't want to put like an actual like number on it because of course that would just be speculative and I don't know, you know, we don't know what it's going to be. But if all of a sudden you're going to lose Poyer for a bit and now you really are staring down the barrel of let's say a month or whatever, you know, look, it's regular season, but you're staring down a month of the regular season without now your other all pro safety. We saw last night again where you have those two younger guys the unproven commodities in there and they do a fair enough job but you almost want to be like they have mistakes in them now so can we maybe bring in a veteran over top safety who has kind of seen it all and can maybe just steady it a little bit in the time while players out and yeah as you mentioned this kind of brings up my conversation once again the guy that i have randomly single-handedly targeted in the trade market Duran Harmon from the raiders the Raiders are in a situation now, folks, that <laughs> I can't believe I have to admit to this. They're, they stink. <laughs> like, I love them in the preseason, and I know other people looked at them, and it's like, no, they stink. Like, I don't know what's going there. Deron Harmon, one-year, cheap veteran, you know, contract. And honestly, the Raiders stink, but I'll be like – take PFF for what it is. Jaron Harmon is a top 10 PFF of graded safety right now in the NFL. And he's, he's a proven guy. He's been around, he knows things and he, he feels like a guy that actually could fill in when we really need him. So yeah, let me just until, you know, well, since we're recording this on Monday until tomorrow at four o'clock, there is a chance that the bills maybe call about Deron Harmon and just see what's up. I don't know if that's actually happening. Of course, this is just me being speculative, but if I were big baller bean, if I was Brandon Bean sitting in that room, I'd probably be picking up the phone to the Raiders and be like, Hey, will you take a 2024 sixth round pick or whatever for Deron Harmon? Cause uh, we could really use some help over here. And like, realistically people, that's probably all it would take to get a guy like Deron Harmon. It's not like he's a, you know, blue chip talent and stuff like that. It's not like he's crazy. He's not on an expensive contract and stuff. So they can't like hold that us over. Like we don't have to kind of pay less because of that, but we don't have to pay more either. It's a one year deal. They're going to lose them anyways. We're going to give them some sort of asset for it. I don't know if it's going to be a 2024 asset. Like maybe it's a six round pick this upcoming draft in 2023. But regardless, if it's going to cost a sixth round pick, to get a veteran safety in here to kind of help steady the ship while Jordan Poyer's out. I could not say yes and sign the dotted line fast enough. I'd be like, yep, absolutely. Just get someone in here that we can hopefully rely on because something needs to happen. If Poyer's injury truly is something to be concerned about, because realistically, what if Poyer's injury is like, Hey, hopefully he'll be back in a month. But then all of a sudden that month comes and he's still not feeling great. And now you're getting into the dog days in the later part of the season where it's like, oh, crap, like is Poyer even going to be OK come playoff time? And I would really be more comfortable at that point having a Duran Harmon sitting there in the safety kind of depth rather than being like, OK, like we're going to Mar Hamlin and Johnson back there and fingers crossed, man, like fingers crossed it's going to work out. 
it'll be awesome once Trey's back so that, you know, it'll help even those younger safeties and stuff. And it'll obviously we all know the power of Trey White. Hopefully he comes back and he's at full force. That, that needs to be said also. I feel like there's an assumption that he will be the all pro corner, you know, as soon as he comes back. Look, it's an ACL injury. Like you don't know how much step he has. He looks great in the, you know, everything we've seen in practice, but you don't know what you're going to get until you see it. It's not there until you know it is. So I would just personally love to see them go after a Deron Harmon. That's I, hopefully this is the last time I have to talk about Deron Harmon too. It will like, be. I mean, timeline wise, it, it's now or never. I just can't believe how much I've talked about Deron Harmon in my life already at this point. Like he has been somehow someone that keeps coming up, but we sit here now and I really would love to see Bean go after a guy like him because it's not going to cost a whole heck of a lot. And that would make me feel much more comfortable with the safety position. He's your new Kevin King, which is the guy that you've been pounding the table for, <laughs> for years. Um, I will say like, I think a lot of fans forget the fact that the bills actually have Xavier Rhodes on their roster as a practice squad player, he's currently injured. Um, that is a backup plan they have in their holster for defensive back. Maybe they could cross train him at safety to get him ramped up for the money games in January. If need be, we'll know more about the Poyer injury. Hopefully by the time this podcast drops, whether it's going to be a multi-week thing, or are we looking at hopefully not a season ender? Because in that scenario, I would agree with Luca that I think the bills probably need to make a move there at safety just to insulate the depth they have. Luca, I do want to put a bow on this Packers game in a second, but since we're on the trade deadline, let's just briefly touch on that real quick. There was a report yesterday from Jay Glazer that the Bills had called on Alvin Kamara. I will just tell everybody, um, the Bills call on everybody. That That's just what Brandon Bean does. And just put yourself in the situation of being in a fantasy league and uh, your friend says, hey, Saquon Barkley is available. Are you not going to text your friend and say, well, what are you looking for? I mean, even if you don't need a running back, even if you have Nick Chubb and Christian McCaffrey at running back and you're all set, if the price is going to be whoever your third wide receiver is, you're going to make the call. Brandon Bean makes calls on everybody. Um, so I am still Luca. I am. If I had to guess, I would guess the bills don't make a move before the trade deadline. Um, I just, I, I can't, I still can't find that perfect move that makes sense for them so from our pod, from our podcast, Twitter account. We tweeted out a couple of names this week. Um, uh, we, Damian Harris, um, Kendrick Bourne. Look, Luca and I are not NFL insiders. We don't ever claim to be. We we have just enough information sometimes to be dangerous. Uh, we had we had heard through the grapevine that those guys were available, so we just wanted to tweet it out just in case they got traded. So we just said, "Hey, what do you guys think about these guys?" Um, there was definitely enough smoke around the Alvin Kamara thing that we tweeted out what it would look like from a contract standpoint with a team inquiring about him. I, I just can't find that perfect piece. Maybe maybe the Josh Jacobs thing now that the Raiders are falling apart, if the Bills really want to upgrade upgrade the running back situation, is something they look into. The, the Commanders won yesterday, so does that mean Antonio Gibson is not available? I am not in favor necessarily of the Bills overextending themselves to upgrade running back. I think their issues at that running game have more to do with up, what's up front. Uh, but Luca, we can just have a quick, do you expect the bills to do anything. If I had to put the percentage on what I think the odds are, the bills make a move tomorrow today or tomorrow, I'd say 25%. And I feel like that's even a little rich. Uh, I'll break it down just a little bit more than that. I actually do think there's a 50, 50 shot. <clears throat> excuse me, people. Uh, I think there's a 50, 50 shot that they go at a safety. I'm just going to say that now. I really do think there's a coin flip situation that, I mean, the, obviously as we've kept saying the Poyer, news needs to happen before they make that overall decision 
but I feel like there's enough concern now with yet another thing stacking up on Poyer, and Poyer is the toughest SOB. We obviously know the long track record of what he's done just to play this year through what he has been dealing with, Um, but they need to potentially do something there, and I think that's happening. Aside from that, I would even go lower. I would probably say 15 10 to 15% chance they do. The The price has to be right with something. I'm going to say this now. I think there is almost 0% chance they're trading for Kamara. Like, you know, the speculations out there, they've called, as you pointed out, and we've done it before, Bean does his due diligence. He calls everybody, as you pointed it out. If someone says someone's available, Bean's going to be like, hey, what will it cost? And the report also, uh, I can't remember, was it Ian Rappaport or someone else? tweeted out that essentially, hey, they're looking for a McCaffrey-like return. And if the Bills weren't going to do that for McCaffrey, they're probably not going to do that for Kamara. That's just how it works. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like the idea of trading for a running back personally, especially so last night too showed you like, hey, Cook looks a lot more comfortable. Like, I don't know if the bye week did that or whatever, but Cook made a couple, he made a run and he, obviously there was the catch. Like there were things that happened last night that I'm like, okay, he looks a little bit more comfortable. Motor is exactly what we know him to be and he's reliable those are going to be probably our two guys going forward if we want to do anything we have you know josh has been preaching this on the twitter we have duke johnson sitting there and are you really willing to trade for you know any running back i'm not even going to name names are you really willing to trade for and give up assets for any running back when i mean i'm not putting kamara into this of course but most of the other guys it's only marginal gains from them and Duke Johnson. Like it's not anything major. Now I will also add if these teams would like to take Moss off our hands and then maybe take a pick, then discussions are there because I look at, and I'm sure Josh kind of agrees with me here. If Moss is essentially a negative asset, like it's like, uh, I don't want him dressed. So if you have a player on your roster that you don't want dressed and yet someone else will give you something for them. Yeah. You take that. Like, it's like, okay, like, it's it's kind of like trading Brock Osweiler and a second round pick just to get him off of your roster. It's not that severe, but it's that kind of whole situation where it's like, we don't want to address this guy. Like, will you please take him off our hands? If you're going to get something for him, yes, you take that deal. Most likely, obviously, again, if it's like Kamara and it's going to cost a second, a third, you know, a fifth and Zach Moss, like, <laughs> let's not do that, please. Like, that's too much future capital and assets that, yeah, we don't want to do that. So safety 50-50. Uh, everything else I would go 10, 15%. Like I, I don't see where they really mess with this locker room extensively at the, you know, expense of a lot of future capital in order to think that they increased, you know, running back play or whatever too, too much. I just don't see it. And then also we talked about on the bot, you know, the bye week you didn't even, I don't think you brought this up. I was trying to keep up with you as I was doing something else here, but we talked about offensive line. Like people don't trade offensive line. It would be sweet if someone's available at the right cost and stuff like that. But again, I say that doesn't happen only because teams don't trade offensive line unless they're blown away with an offer. Like it just doesn't happen, especially during the season. So I don't really suspect a trade happening. And if one does, I think the coin flip situation is that safety position. On Zach Moss, and I'm going to just put this as bluntly as I can. I would, this is this is going to sound rude. I don't mean it to sound rude. I would trade him for the open roster space that he is currently occupying. I would cut him. I'd release him. I would trade him for almost anything that doesn't require taking on a big salary back. Um, if you can get anything for him, do so, because I think we have a better option at running back sitting on the practice squad. 
Uh, I agree. I don't necessarily anticipate the Bills making a move. I am refreshing Twitter nonstop throughout this show to see if any Poyer news has broken. It has not. Um, so we are just going to be waiting. It sounds like we'll probably be done recording this podcast before that news breaks. So by the time you're listening to this, you probably already know what the situation is with Poyer. And uh, we'll have a better idea what the Bills are going to do with that. I will also say quickly, um, there is still the Odell Beckham conversation. I will raise my hand and tell you that throughout this entire uh, summer and fall, I have fallen in the camp of Odell Beckham will not be a bill. I, I think the winds were blowing that he wanted to go back to L.A. It sounds like maybe he, you know, he wants to just dr- create a market and then make his decision to find a way to go back to L.A. But they just were feeling like they were the only ones at the table bidding on him. Uh, take this for what it's worth. I am more confident now than I've been throughout this entire process that Odell Beckham will be a Buffalo Bill. I'm not saying I'm 100% confident, but I would say if I had to say yes or no, I would err on the side of yes at this point. And that that's really just putting some things together, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So I do think that's a move that uh, the Bills have in their back pocket. Again, we're not NFL insiders. We know just enough to be dangerous. So that's why we don't go out there and go, hey, per a source. That is not our, that is not the lane we drive in. Um, but just things that the Odell stuff is picking up more steam than I anticipated it to. Um, so if I had to bet at this point in time, I would bet on Odell being a bill. I wouldn't throw my life savings on it. But if you're asking me to choose, will he or won't he? I would very slightly edge toward he will be. And I honestly think that um, that decision could be coming down here a little quicker than maybe we all anticipate, maybe in the next couple of weeks even. But stay tuned to that. I mean, the NFL insiders that are, get paid to do this are way more connected than than we are. But uh, that's just kind of the way the wind is blowing here. I do have one Packers thing I want to get into after we put a bow on this game, Luca. But we have to put a bow on this game with our segment of Game Balls and game check. So for those of you that don't know, we give a game ball to the player who went above and beyond was the MVP for the bills. And then the Zach Moss Memorial game check award as named by Luca is the player that didn't even need to show up last night, somehow got a game check, even though his performance did not warrant one. So Luca who on the bills, or I guess the Packers, if you want who on the bills, gets your game ball for their performance last night in the Bills 27 to 17 victory over the Packers. So this is the first week now where it's actually based on my vantage point and stuff, how I consume the game. It's a little more difficult to do this because I wasn't able to see as much as I wanted to or things like that. Obviously, it's easier to see, you know, all 22, we'll call it on TV than it is sitting third row, a corner of an end zone. Um. Overall, based on what I experienced, I'm I'm not going to throw out names here and stuff because honestly, I don't think I really can. I think there, everyone played pretty dang well. The one I will I will say from my vantage point, the the individual I would give my game check, and I feel like I've now done this four. I think this might be his fourth game ball for me, Matt Milano. The reason I point out Matt Milano is because even when it seemed like stuff was like on edge in the second half, and st- like Matt Milano was disrupting play enough where I noticed him the most. I feel like I, I just I don't know what it was. Like Matt Milano played a pretty sound game. He had two dropped picks. The one that never got reviewed because it was in the you know the two minute window where it has to be booth reviewed and it was called incomplete on the field. It was very close to me. Like on my vantage, I actually had a clean look at it. It didn't look like that really hit ground, but of course you don't know what happens behind the hands and stuff. It didn't look like it hit the ground. You watch the replays from different angles and you know, I had a nice 45 foot diagonal screen directly behind my head and I'm looking at this. I'm like, I don't know, man, like they should really hold this up. That looks like a pick. 
Um, I, 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 he looked good. Like Matt Milano looked good. Like, let me just say that, like where Tremaine Edmonds looked okay. And then, you know, I thought Tim settle played a good game and stuff like that. The defensive line overall played a good game. Even it's weird saying when they had 197 yards on the ground against us, but I felt like the defensive line played decent enough because as we talked about earlier, I think they just got sack happy all of a sudden. And we were just willing to let the Packers run. Um, I thought, you know, other individuals played decent, but I will just say Matt Milano stuck out to me. Like his name was called a lot. He came up big. Uh, Von Miller also had that one run stuff that he was an alien, essentially, uh, the fourth and one, I believe it was, but Matt Milano is going to be my game ball guy. And I'm pretty sure that's the fourth time now I've given Matt Milano a game ball, Josh. It's a great call. And I think there's going to be some pushback on giving it to Milano or Edmonds because when you get run on for 200 yards, the immediate thought is, oh, the linebackers didn't play well. I was as impressed with Milano and Edmonds in this game as I have been all year long. The reason why they have been playing at such a high level this year is the defensive line in front of them has been keeping them clean. That was not the case last night. They were hung out to dry multiple times. I will throw Taron Johnson, and I will also throw the safeties into this mix. They were hung out to dry by a pass-happy, sack-happy defensive line where there were multiple occasions where linebackers were taking on one and two offensive linemen just to get through the mess. And I thought Milano, Edmonds, um, I'll throw Taron Johnson into this mix. I thought those guys played so well. Uh, DeMar Hamlin really popped last night. Um, situation, these guys are under 200 pounds, um, the safeties, Taron Johnson, Hamlin. And they're taking on offensive linemen who are north of 300, and they're getting in there and getting the ball carried to the ground. Some of those runs by Dylan and Jones, while they went for 7 or 10 yards, they could have gone for 50 if those guys weren't just really playing above their weight class in that scenario. So I have no problem with Milano. Edmonds was all over the field. I think he had like 14 tackles. I don't have the box score in front of me. Uh, so that's a good call. I'm going to go to somebody you did mention, though. I'm going to go to Tim Settle because as this defensive line was being built this offseason, there were a lot of names we were excited about. And Tim Settle, Luca, was one I will give you credit for. He was one like you have been mentioning since that Colts game, since that that view of him just pushing Quentin Nelson back. You, I believe you were in attendance for that game. Am I correct in that? You were absolutely correct, and I got to see that freak in person. Loved it. Yeah, you, that was the first thing you told me after that Colts game is we have a dude in Quentin and in, uh, in Tim Settle, and it wasn't just that one play. You were focusing on him and Benford really specifically that game, and you just could not say enough about those guys. Last night was the first game to me that Tim Settle really popped, and if you can get him going with what the Bills are getting out of Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, and Jordan Phillips, if you can get Tim Settle going, this defensive line is going to become even more lethal. He had the sack, but he also had the tipped ball that led to the Matt Milano interception. Really played well last night, and uh, for that, Tim Settle is going to get my game ball. Now comes the negative portion of the show, the game check portion of the show. Luca, is there a Bills player in your mind that's performance was poor enough that you're like, all right, you know what? You probably shouldn't get paid for how you played last night. I'm going to say one name and and it feels weird because this is like, I, th I don't know who I picked in the Kansas city for my game ball, but uh, I, oh, I think I picked Vaughn. So I'm not doing the exact same thing, but unfortunately the one name I'm going to bring up because again, I just thought he seemed um, off. We'll just be nice. And, and there's one play that I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? Isaiah McKenzie. When he reversed field, 
and just like was trying to make something happen. One, I love players trying to make something happen. They think they're dynamic and stuff like that. As someone that watches a lot of Cardinals football too, you can't reverse field and get the edge on anyone in the NFL. That just doesn't happen. Like the NFL is too fast and too good to do something like that. And I don't know what was going on. McKenzie was quiet. Like McKenzie didn't do much yesterday. He had one good kick return. I believe it was, he had a touchdown The you know, the, he got in the end zone and he made good things happen. But when I see also a guy just reversing field like that and doing other things where I'm questioning, I don't know if it necessarily justifies because again, he got the touchdown. I mean, the touchdown happened directly in, in my face. Like it was right in that corner end zone. I'm a little salty personally that he didn't jump in the stands and say, Hey, what's up? Love the celebration, though, laying down stuff like that. So I'm going to say I don't know if he necessarily deserves to have a Zach Moss uh, named award on his desk, but I'm just going to point out a name where it was yet another game where there are also moments where I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And so let me put it this way, then he doesn't necessarily flat out get the award. He's just one guy I want to point out where now it's another game where he had good plays and he did good things, but also he had moments where it's like, what are you doing? Like he returned one kick return also as well that he absolutely, I don't think should have based on what he saw, but he still wanted to do it. He then followed that up with that return that I'm talking about where he got to like the 32 and he made something and he made something happen. But again, just a name I want to bring up in this moment in time and just being like, Hey man, like you're doing good things, but also WTF, like what the F are you doing right now by reversing something? It was blown up and let's let's put it that way too. Like he did something be only because where he was running was nothing. But sometimes that's the thing to do because if you reverse field, you can make it a whole lot worse, which he kind of did. It didn't cost us much in the end, but regardless, just a name I want to bring up here. I don't know if I fully want his game check, maybe half of it. We'll, we'll call it like, give me half your game check back. You did great things, but also like what, what the F? No, I think that's a great call. And, you know, you mentioned he had the seven yard touchdown run and it was a good play. Like he had to turn the corner and get there. I feel like the way that play was drawn up, if they hand the ball to Khalil Shakir, James Cook, they probably score also. So I don't want to take away the fact that Isaiah McKenzie scored. But to your point, Luca, I feel like outside of the Miami game, Isaiah McKenzie has just left us all kind of wanting more for what we thought we were getting out of that slot position. And then last night where you have a situation where they have Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas and even Eric Stokes, you need a, a McKenzie or a Knox to really come up with some big plays. McKenzie had one catch last night, and he did have that reverse field play where there's just so many moments where you're like, guy, you, you don't have to be the Michael Jordan here. Michael Jordan is the quarterback. You don't have to be the Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen is wide receiver one in digs. We just need you not to mess it up. So when he messes up a kick return to Luca's point, like we literally – they will let you set it down on the 25 yard line for free every single kickoff. And that's a win for us because the ball is in Josh Allen's hands. And from there, we like our odds against any defense in the league. So any negative kickoff is a really bad look for McKenzie. That reverse field where he's running around and losing yardage, I'm yelling at my screen, throw it away, throw it away. He's an eligible passer in that scenario. He can throw it away, take an incomplete pass and get back to the line of scrimmage. And I don't know if that's a coaching point, an awareness point, but the reverse field, I love Isaiah McKenzie as a gadget weapon. He is not Tyreek Hill. And I think the way he plays the game sometimes, and I'm, I will, I will admit, I, I heard Aaron Quinn bring this up last night on his show. So this is not an original thought by me. When he said it, I was nodding. I was like, yes, that's what I've been trying to say about Isaiah. But think like to put the piece together on Isaiah McKenzie. I like him a lot. He plays the game 
he adds an element to the offense, but he plays the game like he thinks he's a little faster and a little more elusive than he really is, and he can get himself into trouble. And then last night, he could have set a drive on fire with that play, and so I think you're absolutely warranted in giving him your game check. I wanted to go with the low-hanging fruit and be like, hey, Zach Moss, you were active for the game and, and didn't get a carry, but that feels like that feels like a cop-out that doesn't really tell any of the story from the game. Uh, I don't really have a better idea also for who they should have had active in that game only because with the Spencer Brown injury, when I looked at the list of inactive players, it was like, okay, well, I guess we could have had Hodgins active, but Kumaro was back. What is that really going to do for us? And I understand the fact that the Packers had a weak running run defense. So having that third running back active didn't make sense. Don't hate it. Would have liked to maybe see Duke Johnson called up and have that spot be his um, is what it is. Didn't happen. But my, um, my game check is going to be kind of in the same lane as Lucas where in a game where you know the Packers have this great secondary, you need some of your secondary weapons in the pass game to step up and make plays. And for that, my game check is going to actually go to Gabe Davis, who had two receptions for 35 yards. But this is the big number for me. Two receptions on seven targets. And one of those targets was a slant over the middle that if Davis squeezes it, he is going to run. He'd still be running. He would have scored easily. He dropped it. He had that really boneheaded personal foul penalty that um, that nuked one of the Bills second to last or our last drive where he just shoved Jair Alexander to the ground. It wasn't a terrible game by Davis, but it was one of those games that just like McKenzie, like Knox, even even though Knox like McKenzie had a touchdown left you wanting more. And I will tell you, Luca, it's the kind of game that if you're on the fence about whether this team should add Odell Beckham, it's the kind of game that's just like maybe we need one more guy. I love Davis. I think Davis is going to be a star in this league. He had a bad night. It is what it is. I don't know about McKenzie being a star. Is he just a guy with some fun skill set that happens to be in a bigger role that maybe is a little bit of over his skis at this point in his career? Feels like maybe that's the case. The Bills still have Khalil Shakir. At some point, they'll probably get Jamison Crowder back. They have a fun weapon in James Cook that is continuing to pop a little bit more and more. They have answers in the passing game, but I don't think last night, outside of Diggs, any of those secondary weapons did anything to slow down the chatter that this team could really benefit from having an Odell Beckham Jr. And that is a long way of saying that is why Gabe Davis gets my game check. So, Luca, I want to have a very quick conversation on the Packers. I realize we're already over an hour here, but I find that game interesting for an overall view because through much of the playoff drought, Many of us who are old enough to, I want to say luckily, luckily experienced the drought from beginning to end. There were so many of those football seasons where it felt like, okay, the Bills games are what I'm going to watch and what I'm going to root for, but who's my team going to be like that really has a chance, right? Like the Bills don't have a chance. We're trotting out Trent Edwards and JP Lossman. And sure, there's like a month of that season where you're like, well, they won a fun game. Maybe they can sneak into the playoffs. And then eventually reality hits and you're like, oh man, our coach is Dick Duran and we really stink. And for me, that team was always the Colts. I have family ties to the Colts. Um, so there was always an easy reason to root for them. You've heard me reference them before. They were kind of that team that I clung to as like, once the Bills season was over, I just like to see the Colts do well. Plus, you know, they had that rivalry with the Patriots. I always hated the Patriots. So it was just easy to get to Luca. We've talked about has that second team in the Cardinals. So, you know, the Cardinals weren't always great during the drought, but they at least had some seasons with Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer where they were good enough where Luca didn't feel like he was just like left out in the cold watching other NFL fans enjoy the football season while like we were just sitting here like, cool, we're seven and nine again. I feel like for a lot of Bills fans, 
there are two teams that we looked at as relatable and thus that made them teams that we naturally rooted for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers. And the reason I say that is there's a lot of similarities around those teams. One cold weather cities. When you look at trying to recruit good, good players, free agents to your team, cold weather is viewed as a negative. It is what it is. People like the players, if they have an option to go to Miami or they have an option to go to Buffalo or Pittsburgh, if all things are equal, they're going to choose Miami. Plus there's the Florida state tax thing. We don't have to get into that right now. The other thing is market size, green Bay, Buffalo, very small markets. If you're a great player in New York or Los Angeles, you're going to be on, you're going to have much more opportunities for post playing career opportunities in the media. Look at Michael Strahan, look at Tiki Barber, look how many former Dallas Cowboys are all over the announced crews on ESPN, Fox, yada, yada, yada. And then you look at the fact that if the bills and Packers, the bills never played primetime games during the drought. They just never happened. We get the token Thursday night game. The bills had two Monday night games during the drought that they hosted for that 17 year period. And they were both disasters. And the biggest thing about the team was, Oh, the crowd is fun to watch. And the team was awful. If, if the bear, the Chicago bears are bad. If the New York jets are bad, they're still going to get three or four primetime games every year because you're bringing in a huge TV market. This is a long way of saying that the bills have to be great to be considered good for TV, for notoriety, for players to want to come there. The Bills are great right now. That's why Von Miller comes here. That's why Stefan Diggs gets traded here and immediately signs an extension and, and loves being here. That wasn't always the case in the drought. And for a long time, a lot of us looked at it like, are we ever going to get out of this? Nobody's ever going to want to come to Buffalo because the weather is in their mind stinks. Uh, there's small market team, so there's no advantage there. And until we got Josh Allen at quarterback, there was just no thought that this team, the team had to overpay mediocre free agents to come here. So you're at a team building disadvantage. And that is why a lot of fans looked to the Green Bay Packers as a sign of hope, as a sign of this doesn't have to last forever. Here's a team that's always competing for championships. They're always relevant. They're always on primetime TV because they got the trump card, that magic key, the, the, as you'd say in video game terms, the, um, I'm trying to think like the, the warp and Mario or whatever it is. The glitch is you have the quarterback. If you have the quarterback in the NFL, everything else is just so much easier. And the Packers went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and they were always relevant. Same thing with the Steelers with Roethlisberger. But for the Packers, they were that team during the drought that I think gave a lot of fans hope of what could end up being. And that is what it is now with Josh Allen. And Luca, I just was watching that game last night in amazement the role reversal of these fan bases as for the longest time, I think a big chunk of Bill's mafia looked at the Packer fans like we can be you someday. We're never going to be the Dallas Cowboys. We're never going to be the New York Giants. We're never going to be whatever teams in L.A. this year, but we can be the Packers. We can be the Steelers and you guys give us hope. So we're going to root for you because, you know, we can identify with you. And last night was just now we're the team that maybe is giving Green Bay hope. Like, okay, this, this Rogers thing is coming to an end. Maybe there's some Packers fans that just think this is how life is. You always have an elite quarterback and, and life in the NFL isn't bad, but if the Packers don't have a quarterback, watch how absolutely irrelevant they become in the landscape of the NFL. And they become NFL Siberia because nobody will want to play there. They won't be on TV because they're not a big market and they won't have a quarterback that brings eyeballs in. Luca, I just could not stop thinking about that last night about how this was the team that gave so many people hope 
And now the Bills are kind of that team where if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, if you're a, you know, Pittsburgh is a little bit still too close to winning, but like Cleveland, um, Cincinnati, if you're a small market team, you, you have Cincinnati is a bad example. They were just in the Super Bowl, but the small market teams, the Bills are now the, they can do it so we can do it team. And that's just, it's just still kind of weird to get used to. I love it. Um, I will say this too, real quick, that last time I'll talk about this guy, but I, I do want to say that guy was awesome. And I, like talking to him was very interesting. He even acknowledges and he tells his wife who is sitting next to him. He's like the dark days for the Packers are coming soon. Like he acknowledged, he's like, have you seen Jordan Love play? It ain't pretty. So I think that also Packers fans do understand what you just described is spot on. It's like they've had Favre, they went to Rodgers, and it's been this glorious time for them. Honestly, you can say only two Super Bowls out of all of that is probably not the return you actually would want for having two legendary Hall of Fame quarterbacks at that caliber. Um, yeah, the bills are becoming that they are like he even in this same conversation I just started that with, he goes, I've been telling her the bills are set for 10 plus years, like barring crazy injuries to Allen. They're going to be that team. Allen can take this team as far as they can go because he is just that guy and watch the reason I went to the game last night, because it was kind of that game. And I know the national media even talked about it. Allen versus Rogers. Like it was kind of, I look at Josh Allen and Josh Allen obviously can do things that I don't think Rogers has ever been able to do, but they're kind of the guys that I've always compared a little bit to. And like the freakish arm talent, the ability that, you know, scramble drill and stuff hit a guy 55 yards down the field. Like it's nothing and just make magic happen though. Rogers was that guy. And he still is like, I pointed it out earlier. He could still ball. Like Rogers is not dead yet. But Allen is now that guy. Like he is now the one above it. Like Rodgers is back to back MVP right now, currently. But I think everyone can agree Allen is now that dude, and he is the top. He, him and Mahomes, of course, we talk about. And Mahomes is probably a little bit more of a comparison to Rodgers as a whole. But to me, it's like as you pointed out, when you take consideration of market and where the team is and what it would be without them, they are very very comparable and i think it's a great point by you and i think that's an interesting point that your head was at the other point i'll make to it and just kind of add on and why that comparison actually makes a lot of sense bill's mafia we know travels and bill's mafia has your back through everything the packers are the same way last night there were more packers fans than i think anyone that wasn't at the game realizes like that was I met Packers fans that were there to tailgate they didn't have tickets but they just wanted to be immersed in the away situation and immersed with the Bills tailgate with their other Packer fans that they may have known were going to the game and to me that tells you where they are as a fan base and how much they care about their team no one can tell I I heard one Bills fan last night go you don't understand what we've been through and they were kind of having that you know we'll call it the dick sizing conversation where they're like I'm a bigger fan of my team than you are it's like no look we are equal Packers fans, I would never in a million years say I am a bigger fan than you. We, I respect Packers fans a lot, especially with where their team is, where the market is, everything Josh laid out for you. Like it is, they are a very, very loyal fan base and everything like that. And I think the comparison between the two uh, is spot on. The Packers, I will say this too, Josh, I always rooted for the Packers back in like the drought days because 
as anyone that watches football knows, I always wanted a Packers Cardinals playoff game because those generally brought some pretty entertaining moments to us as football fans. So yeah, like I always rooted for the Packers because they were fun to watch. And then I knew if the Cardinals and Packers met in the playoffs, you were going to have an instant classic. So um, I love the Packers. I, by, I just want to say I love Packers fans. They were great. Um, stuff like that. I want to just shout them out. I can't say enough good things. Everyone's got their heels. Everyone's got their, you know, overly drunk, you know, dicks and stuff like that. Like Bill's Bill's fans have that too. Like just for those listening, Luca is not cussing right now. He was sitting next to a bunch of guys named Richard last night and they all go by the name Dick. So that's why he keeps saying like Dick sizing and like dicks like that. (laughs) That's all he's talking about. So don't, if you have kiddos in the car, don't worry about it. Yeah. Sorry. They were, everyone has bad people in their fan bases, (laughs) but, but overall the Packers fans were very, very nice. They were awesome people. They were fun to have football conversations with like that's they're well-educated fans. They really are. Mm -hmm. They love the game. They love their team. And um, yeah, it's, it's an, I love this point being brought up. I think it's a great thing by you. This isn't even on our notes. Um, uh, Actually, I do see it there. I just wasn't paying attention. Sorry, people. Uh, Classic. (laughs) But anyway, but anyways, uh, I, I, it's a great point. I think this is a great way to wrap up the game. It was a very fun game. Like I, even though I know Bills fans will talk about it one more time, have a little bit of a salty taste in their mouth because of how the second half went down and it didn't, wasn't really an emphatic win where we just were able to finish them off and put up 40 plus and all that kind of stuff. It was a fun and entertaining game. And remember a win over the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is huge because just think about what we're talking about. Like the Packers would be irrelevant in this game would have not been on Sunday night if it weren't for Aaron Rodgers. Like if it weren't for that. And then of course they're fans too, which it's a, when it comes to a spectator thing, like they know they're going to travel. They know they're going to watch that game. Like there's a reason that this game was on and it was Aaron Rodgers. It was Josh Allen. It was the Buffalo bills. And it was a phenomenal game. I felt like it, for the most part, lived up to the billing, Josh. I really do. I think Rodgers versus Allen, like Rodgers made a couple plays there that kept the game interesting. They kept, you know, and, and of course, Allen did what he did in the first half. Very fun game to watch, even with that second half that kind of left a little bit of a salty taste in the mouth afterwards. If these two teams played 10 more times, I think the Bills would probably win nine or 10 times. I think the talent disparity between these two teams was pretty evident. The Bills shot themselves in the foot. I feel like the Packers kind of gave up in the second half and started running the ball and then found themselves, hey, we're only down by 10 now. Keep in mind, they scored with six minutes left to cut it from 17 to 10, which is why an 11 point spread in the NFL is such a big spread. You leave yourself open for that quote unquote backdoor cover. Uh, But just to wrap up the point we were just talking about, that probably does give a lens into why the Packers drafted Jordan Love because they know that they're only as good as their quarterback. There is no Dallas Cowboy, New York Giant, like come play for us because we're great. We can recruit a quarterback to come here after, after Aaron Rodgers leaves. They're going to have to draft their next quarterback. And they did that with Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was still playing at a high level. And they also doubled down on that and drafted a quarterback in the second round in Brian Brom, who did not work out. But it doesn't surprise me that they want to keep the shelves stocked in Green Bay at quarterback to have a post Aaron Rodgers plan. And that is why they drafted Jordan Love, because Aaron Rodgers has been kind of playing that one foot in, one foot out. Um, You do the hokey pokey thing. Am I retired? Am I not? And they want to have an answer there because the overall point, you're not going to recruit a high level quarterback to come play for Green Bay. It's just not going to happen. He's going to have other options. So you have to do it through the draft. All right, Luca, let's let's quickly spin it around the league before we get out of here. To me, the biggest thing on the out of town scoreboard yesterday uh, for the Bills 
is their opponent next week, the Jets. They were they were riding high. They were five and two. Unfortunately, they lost their superstar in the making, running back Brees Hall, to a season-ending injury. And we've been mentioning for a while the thing that's going to hold that team back. A player that you and I were both relatively high on, Zach Wilson, had a good output passing-wise yesterday, 355 yards and two touchdowns. Just did not translate into enough points for the Jets. He had two really big boneheaded plays that ended up costing the Jets. And the Jets, at once flying high, lose a home game to the Patriots, who if you have been paying any attention to the Patriots, they were absolutely spinning their wheels. I think this is a tough loss for the Jets and probably, Luca, more of a sign of who they are and what's to come for this team as this season goes on. This was the game for the Jets that kind of finally brought them back down to earth just a little bit. The The Jets are a decent team. We've talked about it. You know, they have a roster that really kind of gives you an idea like, wow, I mean, their future is bright for sure. I feel like we both can agree. But even that it's not surprising that they're making some noise in the NFL this season. Like they have enough talent there that it seems like it just needs to develop in order to become what you would consider a contender or anything like that. But the talent's there, right? Everything is there in place for them. But then you come up against that foe, the one that has owned you. I mean, it's think about the Bills and all those years against Brady and Belichick and stuff. They also owned, Belichick has owned the Jets. Like there have been moments where the Jets have overcome them, you know, most notably the playoff divisional round game in New England under the Rex Ryan. And uh, was it rookie Sanchez? I think it was rookie, right? I don't know if it was his first or second because they went back-to-back AFC championships. I can't remember. But anyways, I digress. Um, this is the opponent where it's like, if you really want to show the league in the NFL that you really matter and it's like, hey, this is, you are here this season and you're going to make some noise. This is the game you needed to really kind of show everyone that the New England doesn't matter anymore. I mean, we just watched New England get battered and run over by the Bears, a team that I thought would win less than three games. Anyways, uh, um, they couldn't have, they couldn't make it happen. And um, the opening line, Josh, I know this is going to ruin a game you like to do off air with someone else, but the opening line right now, I believe last I checked was 12 and a half point favorites for the Bills. And that is us at MetLife. That pretty much explains exactly where that game needs to be at. Like that game is going to be, can the bills actually beat them by 14 or more points? Because realistically they should, because the jets are still kind of a work in progress. They're, they're a fun, they got fun pieces. I mean, Garrett Wilson, sauce Gardner, all these things like they have, as I said, talent there, but they're just not quite there yet. And this week losing to the Patriots and Mac Jones, a team that just got embarrassed on Monday night on a short week. That's the sign of like, hey, it's just not quite there yet. Jets fans shouldn't be deterred and you know depressed or anything like that when it comes to this team. It's just the reality of it all, right? This is not yet quite the year that you do it. This could be the year for them, like the, we'll call it 2019 Bills, where it was fun that we got back to the playoffs and things like that with Josh Allen. But all of us knew. Like that wasn't a team that was going to make a, you know, late push in the playoffs or it would be fun if they did. But we all knew the reality. It was like we squeaked into the playoffs. We unfortunately were uh, Deshaun Watson, Superman performance away from winning that game. But overall, we understood the reality of that team. And maybe the Jets can do that this year. Maybe I mean, it looks like based on their record and stuff, and they should be able to make for a push for a playoff spot. Now there's an extra one compared to what we're talking about here in 2019. But overall, it was kind of a a step back for them, a a kick of reality to them. And unfortunately for them, 
Bill Belichick still owns them. And that's, it's just the reality of things. Bill Belichick's a great coach and you know, it's a well coached team and the jets just couldn't make things happen. Yeah, I think they've been a paper tiger this year. We love their defense. Luca and I, when we did our Rivals Watch series, we're looking at it we're like, man, you know, the Jets have a lot of talent on this team. The one thing is what's going on with their quarterback situation. And when you really kind of peel back the onion, the layers of it, and you look at what they've done this year, they beat the Browns, who are starting a backup quarterback. They beat the Steelers, who were starting Trubisky. Um, they beat the Dolphins, who were starting Skylar Thompson, I think is the name. Um, they did beat the Packers in Green Bay. That was probably the high level win. They beat the Broncos, who weren't fa- who weren't starting Russell Wilson. They were starting Brett Rippon, and then they just lost to the Patriots. So when you look at what's ahead for them, they still have two games left with the Bills. They have to go to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. They have to go to New England to take on this Patriots team that that just handled them pretty comfortably. They have a late season matchup with the Dolphins in Miami, who you just know are going to want revenge for how that game went earlier in the year. And the Dolphins should be playing for playoff seating at that point in time when that when that game goes down. I hope I'm wrong about this because we have a mutual friend who's a Jets fan and he's had, you know, just as much pain as anybody deserves as a sports fan in his life with these Jets. I would love to see the Jets just make the playoffs for him. I would not predict that happens. I would imagine that yesterday was probably the beginning of that snowball forming that ends up collapsing their season. Time will tell, but the Bills certainly have an opportunity next weekend to pile more snow on that snowball. All right, the Miami Dolphins snuck out of Detroit with a win yesterday, Luca. Um, Looks scary for a bit, but they got the win. And outside of that, there was not a whole lot on the out-of-town scoreboard that I thought was necessarily Bills relevant. I will say the Tennessee Titans winning against the Texans coupled with the Colts' loss, really bad loss, to the Commanders, probably a good thing for the Bills because the Bills have beaten the Titans head-to-head. So any playoff seating tiebreaker that comes down to Bills versus Titans will end up favoring the Bills. If you look at it right now, the Ravens, the the Titans, and and the Chiefs all have losses to the Bills, so that will help them in the tiebreaker. Really tough loss for the Colts. I if, If the Titans show up in Orchard Park in a playoff game, Luca, I would just be way too confident. You'd have to talk me off the ledge on that one um, because I would just feel like the bills are going to run them out of the building. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much a look at what went around, what went around in the uh, AFC yesterday. Anything stand out to you there? No, not really. I mean, the Colts uh, losing to the commanders late uh, really hurt the wallet of myself. But uh, beyond that, no, in reality, with when it comes to the bills and stuff, as you said, I think when it comes to tiebreakers with the Titans, of course, and stuff, it's good for the bills and all that fun jazz. But no, it around the league was kind of do I say status quo? Like it, it kind of it was all what we expected, you know, Titans. Honestly, Titans Texans was too close that. Yeah, I'm with you. If the Titans had to come to Buffalo, I am not overly concerned. We saw what happened week two, you know, and that was what they healthier squad for them. And it's like they had Malik Willis playing yesterday. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing too much to say on it all. Uh, The bills are a wagon and everyone else has a little bit of holes here and there. That's that's all I'll put. Good tweet here from Mike Girardi. I'm frantically looking at Twitter nonstop because if some Poyer news breaks or obviously if some Bills trade deadline news breaks, I want to get it into the podcast. That does not appear to be uh, on the horizon here. But Mike Girardi with a good tweet earlier this morning that maybe sums up the point about the secondary weapons for the Bills and also sums up maybe the point about why some of us believe that the Bills should still be in on Odell Beckham. Josh Allen had a 156.3 passer rating when targeting Stefan Diggs versus the Packers. When throwing elsewhere, Allen had two interceptions and a 38.9 passer rating. 
Diggs is as good as it gets. That's his fifth hundred yard receiving game this season. Again, if, if you look at this bills wide receiver group and think they need another alpha type player last night's game only extenuated that. So Luca, we know what happened in the Packers game. We have a trade deadline week to get through this week. We hope maybe the bills make some moves this week. We'll see what happens. We're going to keep our ear to the ground on the Jordan Poyer news. And then next up for the bills is a trip to new Jersey next week to take on the jets who are going to try to get their season back on the rails. And Luca and I'll be back next Monday morning, bright and early to talk about everything that happened in the bills game against the New York jets. We will also break down any news we get on Jordan Poyer's injury and any moves the bills do or don't make in the time leading up to that game. Until then we would love it for you to keep it glued to the built in Buffalo podcast network. We will keep you up to date on any bills transactions this week, any Jordan Poyer news. And we will get you ready for that big AFC East matchup next weekend in the Meadowlands when the Bills take on the Jets. We will see you next time on Bills Jets.